You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. You are in for a treat today. I am talking with my new friend Kate about her new book, Adventures in Opting Out, a field guide to leading an intentional life. Our conversation touches on so many important things that are all the more relevant to head into a new year, from switching the negative script that might automatically run through your brain to practically assessing risk. We talk about creating change and transformation in your life through self-loving instead of self-loathing, and how to process, let go of, and even grieve relationships in life that may be challenged by your own decision to opt out of one path and onto another. Stay tuned through this conversation, drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to, and without further ado, welcome Kate. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Yay! I'm so happy and honored to have you on Thrive today, Kate. Kick us off by introducing yourself to everybody and telling us a little bit about your background and your story because you are such an interesting person. Oh my gosh. Well, now I'm like, what what makes me so interesting? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I am a writer from the West Coast of Canada. And actually, even honestly, up until maybe four or five years ago, I don't know that that's a word I would have even used to describe myself, even though I wrote a blog for years, like I was actively writing all the time. Uh But I think until it became my job, it was just a hard one to identify as I don't know why it's like, it's just an interesting one, right? Like it's, it's technically a thing you do all the time and yet unless you're getting paid for it or something we don't call ourselves that it's like the same way with artists like artists have a hard time calling themselves artists Uh even though what they do all the time is crazy. I feel that because I blog too and I'm I'm until it became my job I actually had the same thing as you once I came out with a book I was like oh I can kind of now add writer to my resume but I was doing it for seven plus years and wasn't like huh I'm a writer yeah yeah so now I mean I said writer and now I'm like I'm an author (laughs) because technically that is what I do full-time for a living is um whether like because of my first book uh it did um, much better than I would say I could have ever dreamed of especially sort of just being like from a little island and you write a book and you kind of think some people will like it and then a lot of people buy it (laughs) Um, that changed everything though. And so I went from being someone who, um, I blogged for years first about paying off debt, second about doing a challenge where I didn't buy anything for a year. Actually, I didn't buy anything for two years, but my book is about the first year of that. Um, I wrote about a year of doing like simple living experiments and then a bit of travel and ultimately yeah i got a book deal for the year of less um and that that changed a lot of things and so now i actually don't blog at all 
um, I don't also talk about things like money anymore. And not because, <laughs> I, not because I don't love to, like money is still one of my favorite topics in a way, but it just doesn't come up as much with what I do now. But I've continually made a bunch of shifts and and ultimately now I've sort of, I guess, coined them as opt-outs. Like I've, I've made a bunch of changes where the way I was living didn't feel right anymore. And so I changed it in some way. And that is what my new book is about. I love it. So, yeah. I love it. Well, we're going to dive very deep into your new book. But actually, since you mentioned it, can you fill everybody in on what the year of less is? Because... I didn't actually know about the year of less when I first learned about your new book. And then I looked into that and was like, okay, mm -hmm, I need this. I feel convicted. (laughs) So (laughs) tell everybody what that is, especially since we have like a new year on the horizon. This is a really cool experiment and concept for people. Yeah. So first I'll speak to just what it was. So the year of less um, is a book about a year where I decided to not buy anything new for a year unless it was something I absolutely needed. So um, I've, I've joked about it, but it is true. Like if you run out of things like deodorant or toothpaste, like buy more, buy more of that <laughs> stuff, right? Like so you're, not, you're not depriving yourself and like trying to make everything yourself all at once or any of that kind of thing. Like if you run out of something that you absolutely need, buy it. So those were kind of my rules, but that meant I couldn't buy things like uh, clothes, shoes, books, magazines, um anything for around the house like literally unless it had some kind of purpose and not the kind of purpose where you just talk yourself into needing it which is what I used to do all the time Uh like I think you could justify just about any purchase that you want to make um but I really had to like learn how to think more critically and say like do I actually need this in this moment like when I buy it I'm literally going to get home and start using it that was the only way I could buy something. And it started from a place of, uh, I I had been debt free for a year. So there was a bit of misconception around it. Like I did it to pay off debt. Actually, I was already debt free. But the problem I noticed in the first year was that I basically went right back to spending all my money. Mm. So I didn't go back into debt, but I also wasn't saving anything. And considering that before, like when I was paying off my debt, there were months where I put up to 55% of my income towards debt repayment. I should have been able to save something. Mm -hmm. And I would get to the end of every month and and look at my spreadsheet and be like, I saved maybe 5%, 10, maybe. And it just didn't feel good. And not for anyone else. Like it was purely for me. Like I want to save more money. I want to know what it feels like to have savings in the bank. This was something I had never experienced. And so I just decided to do this challenge. I kind of looked around my apartment at the time and thought, I don't really need anything. Like technically I'm fine. I'm in a position where, you know, I have clothes to wear and shoes to put on my feet and jackets to keep me warm. And I'm okay. Like I don't actually need anything more. And, and so I, I entered it a little bit naively. I didn't really know what the year was going to look like, but I just thought, yeah, I could do that. Like, of course I could do that. Um, and like spoilers that I, I did, (laughs) there was so much that came up along the way that I hadn't anticipated things around. Like, I didn't realize how much of an emotional shopper I was, Mm. how much, um, like some people buy things to treat themselves or celebrate things. And I, I was not like that. I was so much more like when things were bad or I was feeling, um, negative feelings, sadness, rejection, anything I would, I would buy something thinking it would make me feel better or it would make me better in some way. 
um, and I just, I wasn't consciously aware of any of that stuff until I did that experiment. And uh, yeah, I just learned a lot about um, my, myself, my consumption tendencies, shared all of that in the book. And uh, you're right though, like leading into a new year, I've even heard people say like, the year of less has had a bit of a resurgence since even COVID. I think um, partially because at the beginning, I think so many people were stressed about money. And so I actually decided, like, I don't want to spend on anything unnecessary. Like, I kind of need to hold on to whatever money I'm getting right now, just with financial uncertainty. And so there was some of that aspect. Then there was also the aspect of people who were buying things, honestly, to cope, right? Like, mm -hmm. we were in lockdowns or whatever. And I, you started hearing so much more of all the online shopping that people were doing. And I remember hearing even just, like, from the uh, male lady that we have, her saying that it's busier than Christmas in, like, May, <laughs> and and stuff like that so there's all kinds of like I've, I've seen the year of less have this little comeback this year because of that and I I don't know I just think that we are in an interesting period right now where we are like if you're fortunate to not have been affected too negatively by the by the pandemic there's a lot of us that are kind of sitting around going what do I actually want on the other side of this like what do I want as we kind of transition in a different direction and things feel lighter and we're able to move around the world more freely and like what do I actually want and and experiments of any kind I think are great ways to kind of like tap into figuring that out totally and thinking critically like that I mean it feels at least that that was probably a pretty big catalyst in creating your new book and what I love so much about your new book um adventures and opting out for everyone listening is that it sort of shatters the idea that we all just naturally have our own path in life. Because I think so many of us do exactly what you say, and this is like right in the description of it on Amazon, how you say like, we do what is expected of us, or we follow what you call um, the invisible but well-worn paths that lead us to what is culturally acceptable. And I mean, that can really end up making us feel more disconnected from ourselves and from what we really want in life. And then only when we feel disconnected enough and feel enough discomfort, will we actually be ready to what you call opt out and actually create and forge our own way. And I love that. Can you dive into what, how you define opting out and what kind of inspired you to create an entire book around this idea? Yeah, so I think, um, well, I'll share this. So the, I use an analogy throughout the book of what it takes to complete a difficult hike. And the reason I chose that was because um, I do hike quite regularly now. And, but I was not that way when I was young. I was not outdoorsy at all. I was someone who um, I very much grew up with a lot of or like what I was left with was a lot of like people pleasing and perfectionism. And so I was very much someone who was afraid to try new things. I was afraid to um, not only fail, but also afraid just to be different than what was expected or outlined sort of for me. Um, and, and honestly, as the years go on, I'm only learning more and more about how deep that stuff really goes. But I, what happened was I noticed one day that when I was out on a hike by myself, I noticed finally like the voice in my head that always tells me to quit. 
like it, it is there constantly where this voice will be running through or it's like this this script that is just so perfected over the years of telling me things like no one would know like no one can even see you right now you could totally turn around and no one would see it you're tired like you don't want to do this you can't do this um and i i like there have been times where i've absolutely quit and turned around on those hikes but as the years have gone on I guess what's happened is it's become more of a conversation where I can like the script is happening and I'm constantly having to say, just keep going. Like just go for a couple more minutes. Just like carry on for a little bit longer and see how you feel then. And then I always finish it. Like it is so rare now for me to say, actually, I really don't want to do this. I am going to turn around. But I, it takes me a lot of work. It takes like a lot of internal pep talks to complete a hike. And I just thought, I bet that anyone who follows me on Instagram would not know that that is true for me. They would probably just think that I love hiking. Like I'm just so happy when I'm out there all the time. And they would probably just assume that I'm loving every minute of it. And they would have no idea that this is the voice that's happening inside. Like this is actually what's going on. And I thought um, it was after the year of less came out. So at the same time as sort of thinking about that, I was uh, doing events back when we could do that. <laughs> like, like getting to meet so many cool people, but also at doing a Q&A at the end of every um, sort of talk or, or book event and hearing the questions that were coming out of people's mouths. At every single event, there was a question along the lines of, did you lose anyone? Did your social life change? Did you lose any family, friends? Like, did people, I don't know, did, just basically, did you feel disconnected? Did you feel alone? And putting the two together, I just thought, you know, especially in something sort of like the year of less would definitely be in sort of like the minimalism space of, of books. And I thought in this space specifically, I do not see enough people talk about how when you decide to live differently, it is not always perfect. Like, I think especially in sort of minimalism, simple living, whatever, like we paint these very pretty pictures of how when you simplify, when you cut back, um, everything just gets better. And the reality is like some things get better, of course. And when you decide to be different, like you also, yeah, you do lose people or you do lose aspects of your social life or um, you do find yourself feeling alone. It happens actually a lot. And it is something you have to get very comfortable with, not only um, potentially being alone or lonely, but standing out um feeling like the odd one out in conversations at times really having to accept that some people will not maybe like the new you or they won't want to go on that path with you um and and like how much work it takes them to do it to make some life changes it takes a lot of actually like inner pep talks like it takes a lot of emotional work on your end to live in a way that feels right for you when most of the rest of the people around you probably don't want you to do that or, or it's just very different from them and they just don't understand what you're doing. Because um, it pushes them to look in the mirror and make some maybe uncomfortable observations, which if you're not on the same growth journey can be really, really hard. Really hard. And as, as time has gone on, like even, even more has come from that, which is, you know, I used to, in sort of early days of it, you'd get this sense of wanting to be a bit defensive or, you know, have to argue your choices. Um, the other people-pleasing side might do things like, 
uh, tell people that they're right. You might even stop doing what you're doing and go back to what you were doing before so that you can stay connected to those people. Um, there's all kinds of things, but as, as it goes on, I'm like, it's actually also you get to a place where you have to let go of people, right? Where you are outgrowing them. And so it's not actually so much about, oh, what, what do other people think and did they leave me? But when you really keep going, it's like, who are you going to let go of? Like which friends, which friends may not come with you? Which family members may not come with you? Or which, which boundaries do you, do you have to change? Relationships do you have to change? And some that may just have to end. And yeah, so that's a long way of saying like opting out is very much, I think of it as changing paths in life. So something that you were doing or thought you were supposed to do, deciding that you, it's not right for you anymore and that you want to at least try something different. Um, but it felt really important that the book looked at the, the harder aspects of it, because I think especially in, in, not just in minimalism and simple living, but self-help books in general, I feel like there's so much prescriptive content. There's so much like, here are the 10 steps, follow these and sort of like, hopefully that works out for you. (laughs) And, And we don't talk enough, I think about the emotional aspect of what it's like when you, when you do decide to change and and yeah you do like you isolate yourself in that process sometimes Mm -hmm. if you don't have people who are doing it with you and we don't talk enough about it and i just thought we have to talk about this stuff so that we can equip each other like it doesn't mean that we're saying like oh yeah now that you have the information you'll be great and it's all gonna be fine it's like no let's just talk about the harder aspects so that we can equip each other and say this could happen to you when you're out there when whatever it is that you're doing these are the things that could come up and just know you're not alone Mm-hmm. But, like, we have to actually address it. Oh, yeah. You dropped so many good nuggets there <laughs> that I feel like we need to go back and unpack so much. But going back to one of the very first things you said in that, I think was so powerful in that turning your inner monologue into a conversation mm. and taking that monologue and turning it into a dialogue and not just taking whatever your inner voice says and saying, you know what, it must be right and running with it, but really understanding that oftentimes that's coming from your most primitive instincts, like a place of fear, a place that's there to just keep you safe. It's not there to be like, yeah, you go girl, I'm gonna encourage you to take risks and live your best life. Like, no, 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 that's not what our brain is programmed to do. So just how, how seemingly simple, but how sometimes difficult and incredibly powerful it is all in one to be able to be like, you know what? I feel like quitting, but I'm not gonna quit just yet. I'm just gonna go a little bit more and see what happens. And talking back to yourself like that, even out loud, I feel like as crazy as that probably sounds, I feel like that helps a lot of times. Just be like, you know what? A little bit more, a little bit more. Like, I can do it. And then you're going to prove to yourself that you can retrain your brain. And it's all just going to keep building as you continue to grow on your own path. And like, wow, how powerful is that? Yeah, it makes me think too, like, again, it could, depending on what you're doing, it could get to a place where you decide, I actually don't want to continue. Mm -hmm. But even just that you talk to yourself into going a little bit more, like, you won't forget that. You won't forget. I think about this truly on a hike. Like, if you were standing in one spot and you thought, I can't go any further than this, and you went for just another minute, it's that reminder of like, actually, I could go a little bit more. I could. Like, physically, it is, I am capable of it. Yep. So what else am I capable of that I'm potentially t- talking myself out of or talking myself into thinking I can't do? 
You're right. It really does transcend that because I do that in my own workouts all the time where it'll be, okay, you think you're done. Just do one more curl. Just mm. hold that plank for five more seconds. And it truly, if you, if you do this, I, I like to work out first thing in the day because then you just feel so strong and powerful after that, where I just end up approaching my day completely differently, where I know it doesn't matter what comes through my inbox. It doesn't matter what kind of phone call I get in the back of my head is I went a little bit further. I'm a little bit stronger than I thought I was when this day first started. And mm -hmm. that does not just apply to like your physical strength and your physical workout, you know, like your hikes. You, that carries into everything that you do where you know, okay, I went a little bit further than I thought I could, so maybe I can go a little bit further in this, or maybe I'm a little bit stronger here. And it really just helps you learn your own strength and push your own limits because you're unlearning the limits that you thought you had. Yeah, it's making me also think of, like there's an aspect of the book, which I, it's like, I only really talk about it in a couple of chapters, but it feels like the most pivotal piece in a way, which is the idea of experimenting or just trying. Um, I think that a big piece around opting out that I, I just want to, I don't know, it's like the topic I want to talk about forever and ever these days is that <laughs> with opt-outs, with any, any decision that we make, we seem to have this idea that once we make the decision, we have to make that decision for life. Mm. Right. So it's like, oh, I've, I've decided like for, for that year, right. I, um, or for adventures, I talk about the idea that I wanted to travel full time. And so that's what I wrote about. And I think that that decision could have been so scary if I had sat there and been like, well, if I do this, I'm nomadic forever. Like that's a really scary decision. And I don't know that I want that to be true. And so even with that, I had to say, well, I'll just try with like, a couple of trips and we'll see what this year looks like right and and if in one year three years five years i decide i actually do want to settle down somewhere okay mm -hmm. like it's just it's just something for a period of time um but yeah and, and like giving yourself that permission so it just speaks to the same thing of like giving yourself permission to just try a little bit more it does not have to be forever and you do not have to do the thing uh, always until the end of your time here. Like, it's just, you're allowed to make a choice that's good for now, like good mm -hmm. for what you're feeling right now. And, and to just keep making it until it feels good. Absolutely. We've talked about this on Thrive before, the idea that in today's day and age, it's almost like we forget to allow ourselves to be a beginner at something. You know, it's like we we're, we are just constantly bombarded with messaging about how you it's you're a boss and you're a baller and you can run the marathon and do the dang thing, which is great to a certain extent. But then it can have this adverse effect where we forget that not everybody just ups and runs a marathon tomorrow. Like you, first step, step one is you got to get a pair of running sneakers. <laughs> step two yeah. is you got to be able to walk to the stop sign at the end of the cul-de-sac. And then you got to be able to run a little bit and then a little bit more. It's like, it is not just this up and up and do it and figure it all out and have it all right now because, because you say so kind of thing. So we, we don't always allow ourselves the grace to be a beginner and try something new and maybe get it wrong a couple of times before we get it right. It's like, there's just such a pressure to do it now, do it big, do it right, and then keep on going and go, 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 and do all of the things. And it's like, wow, just take a step back, start small, just start somewhere, and it's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, even just like 
re remembering that kind of messaging is exhausting to just even think about the expert thing too i think is such an interesting topic it's one for me i think as a writer it feels very important to me that i actually don't ever want to become an expert on one topic mm. it just it does not interest me i don't want to be the expert on minimalism or not shopping or and some people do some people like get so into a subject that they own it and they just want to learn more and know the most and and help the most on that thing and um I actually think like if you are an expert at it like you it's almost a way of saying you have nothing left to learn mm. and so yeah I'm like I just I loved that the like it everything is small steps also because I think that something we don't talk about is when you get to the so-called finish line it it doesn't like end there yeah like I guess it could for some things like you could get to an end and just be like okay well I did that thing and now like on to the next but oftentimes with like a life change specifically it is a decision that you're going to make forever like you're gonna have to decide always like do I want to keep doing this or don't I like what what works for me what doesn't I think of something specifically like like drinking I, I don't drink anymore and I stopped when I was in my 20s and something like that is because I'm not an alcoholic that technically is a decision that I could go back on if I wanted to um but it's a conscious choice all the time like nope that actually just doesn't work for me okay mm -hmm. like but, but I have to keep making that choice so yeah you mentioned this earlier too, and I know this is obviously a big part of the book, but since you've hiked like literal mountains before, <laughs> uh, walk us through the parallels between going a different path in life and the psychological work that it takes to summit a mountain. I mean, I know your book is sectioned off mm. into these like mountain climbing metaphors and hiking metaphors, like the base, the viewpoint, the valley, the slope, the summit. But for us, non-mountain climbers in the house <laughs> yeah. give us the lowdown of what that actually looks like in everyday life yeah yeah so i broke it up like that because here were my thoughts so with opting out let's start at the base to me like uh, the base of a hike is literally the the spot where you step up and you're about to begin now for me when i was thinking of opting out the base is actually more like the period of time that you think about the opt-out like it and all like the mental and perhaps physical depending on what it is work that it takes to get to the place where you are ready to begin and in my experience i have lived in the base for so long sometimes like even longer than the opt-out takes to complete um because for me, that is where there can be so much emotional work. There are like, I face a lot of my fears, I actually feel like before I even begin. Like for most of the things that I've done, I think I'm way more afraid before I actually start, mm. right? And then, and then as I keep going, some of the fears come true to maybe a degree, but it's never like as bad. So, so much of it is preemptive. And so it can take a lot for me to begin something. Um, so that's what I looked at for the base of, of, of like, what does it take to actually get to the place where you make the decision? You are going to do the opt-out. Uh, the viewpoint was the next section. And that is something that when you're hiking, not all hikes have this, but typically some will have some kind of spot where you can see what the point of it is. 
like you can see a beautiful view or you can see um, the summit up ahead and and there's something about it that just feels like so empowering and you want to go get it there's some kind of moment where you're like oh yes this is going to be worth it like it's probably going to be hard still but it's going to be worth it and when you're opting out if you're picking the one that's right for you this is like a very clear distinction if you're picking the right opt-out for you something should happen very early on that shows you that you're on the right path like it, it will show you so this can be simple this could be something like maybe you've been questioning um taking something out of your diet as an example because it just hasn't made you feel good so, so for, for me i do not eat dairy it's not because i have an intense allergy but i don't feel good when i eat dairy so as soon as me like take it out i'm like oh my gosh i feel so much better in xyz reasons that is a viewpoint right that is just like a yes this was a right choice um so some are more obvious, some are more subtle, but there should be something that happens early on to show you that you're on the right one. If you were to start an opt-out, uh, like you changed in some way, and it's actually just really hard right at the beginning, you will not hit the viewpoint yet. And actually, I think that that's a really key part of it for some people. Like it's important to be able to recognize that because of course there's going to be challenges ahead, but it shouldn't be hard right from the start. Like if you're making a life change that is right for you, there's something about it that should feel easy or or you should be able to ease into pieces of it. Um, so if it's too challenging right at the start, it might not be the right one, or maybe you need to kind of shift how you're approaching it. Like maybe you're approaching it from a way you've seen other people approach it, but actually mm -hmm. you need to figure out what's right for you. Um, but yeah, my friend David, actually, I, I interviewed him for the book he's someone who does a ton of experiments like it's just he's literally written a blog just about mostly him doing these different experiments on himself and we went through all the ones that are listed on his site um and i looked at all the ones that were like successful so called like he completed them and which ones weren't and we went through and i started asking about some of the ones that did or didn't work and we figured out that the ones that he didn't carry on with were the ones that uh, they were too hard. There was no viewpoint. So it was mm. too challenging. It was like he bit off way more than he could chew or it wasn't really actually his goal. It was like a goal he'd seen a lot of other people doing and was just like, well, I should do that too. Mm -hmm. Like, well, maybe that's not right for you though. <laughs> I see that um, all the time. And maybe you can relate to this since you had a past as a blogger as well. I see this all the time now because when I started, I'm sure when you started, this whole like influencer marketing thing wasn't a thing. Totally. And it was very much people who wanted to write and who were truly writing as a creative outlet. It was not like this Insta famous thing that it is mm. now. And I see so many people, people will come to me now having done it for so long and having it be my full-time job saying, oh, that looks really fun and cool what you do. I want to get paid to share cool products. How do I do it? And I'm like, oh. There, you gotta want to do it for more reasons than that because it'll be a lot harder once you're in it and sure enough it's like the people who end up trying it for the wrong reasons or not necessarily wrong reasons but reasons that aren't in alignment with what they truly love doing themselves mm -hmm. i'm like those are the people who never make it in that it's like you have to actually love writing and actually love creating content and if you're just here to do what you think makes a quick buck hey, you're going to fall out of love with it really quickly because you're going to realize it's A, not a quick buck, and B, <laughs> involves a lot of work that if you're not passionate about doing, okay, your whole life now is going to be 
doing a task or doing jobs that you don't actually love, it's going to very quickly feel out of alignment with like, I don't know who you are as a human being (laughs) and it's not going to fly. So same sort of thing where you're like, "Mm, you, it has to go with like what, what you do as a person and what you like to do as a human being every single day. (laughs) And if it's not in alignment with that, no amount of money can really, you know, shake that and change that. Totally. It, it, that also just makes me think like, this is why a lot of people probably don't, and I can't say this for sure, but it would, it feels true. This is why a lot of people wouldn't be able to meet their new year's resolutions. It is not because they don't want to do the thing. It's often because they're just picking the thing either that everyone else is doing like, Mm -hmm. Oh, everyone else is doing this thing. So like, I'll do it too. But like, is that right for you? is that the one like if you were to pick one thing is that the thing that you want to change this year um or they pick it for some kind of reason that's around like self-loathing like oh I don't like this about myself I'm going to do this thing that maybe will make me like myself better like no that's not a place to change from like a place to change from is I'm pretty content with like most things I would really like what am I craving I'm really craving more of this in my life or I'm really Um, noticing that I don't feel good, say, if I'm always watching TV right before bed. So I want to change that thing. But it's not self-loathing. It's like, what's going to make me feel better? Like Like loving. It's it's like self-love and turning the self-loathing into Mm self-loving. I love that. And how powerful that is too, especially thinking about New Year's resolutions and whatnot, because I really think so much comes down to our individual perspectives that we take. I mean, hell, it's the whole point of this podcast, like thriving <laughs> instead of surviving and that the choices that go into that. But it's like, if you're so focused on something as a resolution or as a goal, whatever you want to call it, but it's coming from that negative place, now you and now I feel like you risk obsessing over something and the entire mindset and the entire perspective is one that's pretty negative because it's like you said, it's coming from self-loathing or hating something. So now every single time you're working towards it, it's all coming from that negative place of, oh, I hate Mm. this about myself or I don't want to be like this and this. And how powerful it would be if we could all just do what you said and shift that to a place of instead self-love. What do we want more of in our lives? What's the positive What's the, 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 the newfound positivity that we want to bring into our lives and just coming at it from that place of more and positivity versus that it's, it's like it could still be the same end goal, but just the entirety of how we approach it would just feel different. And maybe, hell, maybe it would be more approachable for the long haul because you're not feeling horrible about yourself every time you go to work on your goal. Oh my gosh, yes. It it makes me think, well, actually, I more just want to share I had two journal prompts that I've been using this year for myself is one of them is what would the version of myself who loves myself do? Oh, so good. Like if, if you just loved yourself, what would you do in this situation? Um, and then another one is for, for, um, especially if you have like future goals or things that you want, especially if some, some things we have to think very long term because we don't know when we're going to be able to do some, some things again. Um, but I sort of remember like, what would, or would this be helpful for future Kate? Like, am I helping future Kate right now? And a, a one for that is that like, I have these ideas of, uh, like long walks that I would like to do in the UK. Um, and I will not be able to magically just do those one day. Like right now I have to be walking a lot 
in prep, whether it's one year, three years, five years from now, that one day I would like to do these very long walks over there. So I need to start walking now. Like I need to walk more regularly now for the thing that I think I want to do later. Mm-hmm. That's so um, For the rest of the analogy, I mean, after the viewpoint, which honestly there is this, this part of the viewpoint where in my experience, especially with like certain actual hikes, if you can see like when you're at the viewpoint, if you can look ahead and kind of see how much work it's going to take <laughs> to get to the end, this is actually, I think, also a spot where you can you can talk yourself into quitting like very easily because you did see something beautiful right at the start. This is also why I think sometimes we, we quit changes that we want to make because we saw some kind of progress very early and we're like, oh, sweet, like I did it. And then you just like quit. <laughs> like, well, if you actually want to do it, you do have to keep going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for me, there's always some period there of like questioning, do I want to keep going? Which generally just becomes the question that I need to then uh, have a dialogue with for the whole rest of it. Because from the viewpoint, I talk about what it's like to step into the valley. And this one truly comes up for me when I'm out physically hiking, because often like you can see that you're hiking into a valley. You can see you're going down, down, down into a valley of some sort. And when I think about like day hikes with a valley, it means that if you're hiking down, (laughs) when you turn around, you're also going to hike back back up. up. (laughs) You're going to have to redo all of that. And so I always look at it and just go, oh my gosh, do I really want to do this in the other direction? (laughs) Like, Um, but the valley is the place I think where, because you've chosen to keep going, it is the place where you do find that you are walking further away from the life that you were living. So, um, that includes the people that you were walking the original path with. And I also think that if there's any point in the valley where you stumble, it it comes up with a lot of self-doubt and a lot of questioning, like a lot, you can feel lost, you can feel confused. Like, what was my original goal? What am I even doing here? I thought I knew what I, like why I was making this life change. Does it still feel true? Has any, like what's going on here? Um, It's really hard if you don't have anyone in your life to talk to about it. So I find like with a lot of opt-outs that I've done, well, maybe a couple, I've had a friend or two who kind of understood it, but more often than not, the reason they're opt-outs is because I don't actually have anyone. It's like, I'm, I'm choosing to stand alone. And so the feeling of being alone in that is another one that can make you want to go back um, to the way that it was before. And, mm-hmm. and so it takes a lot. And it, it was the biggest section in the book. And I, was, I just thought that it needs to be like, it needs to be the biggest section in the book because it is the hardest section to navigate in in a life change um from there if like if you do decide to keep going which i find most people do i mean i think especially like once you've worked through what comes up in the valley you know that it was hard but you also got a lot of perspective on the fact that you don't want to go back to exactly what it was before like there there are benefits or there or have been enough benefits that you have decided to keep going and so you can't go back. And I think the valley is really where we change. Um, whether like It doesn't matter kind of how small or big the, the shift is, that is where we change. And so the steps out of it in either direction, like even if you decided to quit in the valley and go back, 
you're still going back different. And so like life is still going to be different in some way. Maybe um, how you relate to people could change a little bit. Like something is still shifted in there. But if you decide to keep going, so I wrote about the slope. Um, slope on a, on a mountain or a hike is literally just the side, like a side. <laughs> like just imagine a slow climb up <laughs> to the end. Um, but I, I talk about on the slope specifically, I feel like that is actually where the dialogue begins, where the old, old voice is still there but you have decided to keep going. And so that is instead of just maybe self-sabotaging or giving in, that is the place where you're saying, like you can still hear the old stuff, but you're also saying to yourself like, no, I wanna keep doing this. I wanna, even though it could take a while, like I want to keep doing this. Um, and then the summit, I mean, on a mountain is so obvious. It is a place you get the most beautiful viewpoint. You can tell you're there often because other people are also there. <laughs> <laughs> You're often not alone when you are on a summit of an actual mountain, like someone is typically up there with you. Um, and people are celebrating and they're happy and they might be like having snacks or water. Like it, it's so obvious when you get there. The summit of an opt-out I actually find is so subtle, you'll probably even miss it um, because it's just the day that it stops being a struggle. Like mm. it is just the way that you are living your life and that you're not sitting there having to do the dialogue anymore. You're not having to encourage yourself to keep going. You're just saying like, I, I'm here. I have made this change. This is part of my life now. And I almost feel like it just becomes the new baseline then. Like that is the new place that you then, if you keep opting out, which everyone I talked to for the book has opted out of lots of things. Like everyone starts with one and it ends up being that they make tons of life changes. Um, but that's your new baseline. Like that is the new starting point. It's funny. It's, we, I just talked about this with someone on a past episode about how so often we end up thinking that that final goal is like when we've made it and we just keep pushing. We end up having like this destination mindset where you're like, well, if only once I get there, it'll be good. Once I weigh this amount or once I look like this or once I can do this, then I then it's like a if then <laughs> kind of thing. And we forget that that end destination is not actually where the change happens. That's just mm -hmm. like the arrival point. And like you said, half the time you can miss it because that's not where the transformation is happening. It, the transformation is happening in the valley and on the slope up. Everything, like you just said, it's like doing that hard, dirty work is where you are becoming stronger and where you're changing as a person. And then, like you said, it's like, all right, now it's done. It's not a struggle anymore. So now you're there, but that's not where you are actually transforming. So yeah. it's, it's crazy. Well, and I think about this, the summit too, it's like, that was the goal. The mm -hmm. goal was, like, what was the life change that you wanted? Like, you just are living it now. Great. That's amazing. Like, but still we, we miss it because it's subtle. Yeah. Right? But that is it. So a big thing that feels important is like, you might miss the actual summit, like the actual day <laughs> that it stopped being a struggle. But I think it's really important to acknowledge and, and whether it's some kind of celebration just for yourself, celebration can be a, as big or small as you like, but taking some kind of moment to like take stock of what has happened and what you've done is so important. It is something I've never been great at. Um, 
And that's why I'm like, they can be very tiny. It can be just for you. You don't have to tell anybody about it. But there, when you can see it, when you can see that it's no longer a struggle and it just is the way that you're living, that is absolutely worth celebrating because it was hard. Like it was hard, whatever the change was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, why wouldn't you celebrate kind of the growth and everything that's come up along the way? Yeah. How do you assess risk? Because I see so many people who stay on their current path because of fear of the unknown, or maybe just the idea that the risks are too high or too much to take on. So what sort of guidance can you give for practical folks who aren't even necessarily totally risk averse, but want to find a realistic baseline for determining if a new adventure is worthwhile and when? Yeah, yeah, I think the thing that works for me Um, And I will preface this by saying I'm someone who is more like typically more on the anxious side of things is that this is an anxious thing as well as like you need to prepare for all possible situations almost and like how you will handle it. So if you have really bad anxiety and you don't know what's coming up ahead, you almost need to plan out like three or four different scenarios and literally know what you would do. (laughs) Even just like not not a step by step, but like like, you know, with anxiety, it would be like, there probably is a component of um, actually like good self-soothing tactics. Like, how can you calm yourself? How can you remind yourself that like, you're grounded, you're here, you're safe, you're fine. Um, But yeah, depending on what it is, I will often come up in my head with like, what are three or four of like the worst case scenarios? And what what would they be? So um, like when travel was a specific one of, you know, giving up my place to travel full time, questions were like uh well I guess like worst case scenarios were like what if at some point it just like doesn't work it's like okay then I have to come up with the scenario that I stay with my dad for a couple months and I find a new place to live (laughs) and and that's just that um I don't have the money okay then I have to get a job or like I have to figure something else out um uh medical related it's like adding you know making sure you have medical insurance it was really like so many different things a big one also was what if i can't afford to go back to the city that i was living in which i loved i loved it there and it was very like it was expensive already but the costs were only going up and like for that one i just had to get to a place where i said okay like if i don't get to go back there then i don't get to go back there and and I don't carry forward until I get to a place where I'm okay with those things. And that's all part of the base. That's all part of that early section of like coming up with these thoughts before you even begin. Um, but it is, it is, yeah, it's still a lot. Like with something like drinking, when I decided to stop drinking, I remember very early on, one of my concerns was what if I lose friends and or what if I don't ever find a man who's fully comfortable with the fact that I don't drink? Mm. And that, uh, not that that is true, because there are lots of also sober men or just men who don't drink that much. But in the, in the circle that I was in, that would have been true if I had stayed just in that circle, right? So it's like, it has required, oh yeah, I have lost friends. I've also made some incredible new friends, obviously in these years, but I have lost friends and I have had to change the circle that I'm in so that I do find people who are open and accepting of that side of me okay like so it is it is um it is all to say like the fear comes with you you do not get to just kick it away and it never comes back like the fear joins you on the ride but i think that i definitely 
like I have to get to a place where I'm comfortable with many possible scenarios before I'll even begin. It's like the fear joins you on the ride, but you are in a position where you can talk back to it. Yeah. Comfortably. Yeah. And, <laughs> and to say like, literally do your worst. I can deal with it. Try, like, try me, try your worst. Like if I can get to a place where I trust that I can, like I have the resilience to at least come up with a solution. Like I, I may not know what's coming up ahead because you don't. Like there are things that are going to come up that you did not plan for. <laughs> but if you've come up with what felt like your worst case scenario, you are equipped for anything else. Like mm -hmm. you are equipped. We, d we don't always feel it, but we have it within us to deal with tough situations. Yeah, it's like you might not feel ready, but you can be prepared. So yes. yeah. Yes. So in, you've mentioned a couple times also about, okay, losing people, very real possibility along the way. How did you handle that personally? And what would you tell others who might be holding themselves back or scared to opt out of one thing and into another because of that fear? Mm. You know, like, what does that practically look like for you when you are like, you know what, this, this might be the conversation that has to happen. Here's how I approach it. So I'll say like every relationship or friendship is different because totally. some, some get conversations and some don't, right? Like some things just end and one or both people don't talk about it. Um, so I'd say like, it's, it's hard to give an answer that would work for just one thing. I would say a few things that have helped me. One is the general understanding that we can often only see as far for others as we see for ourselves. Mm. And to hold on to that means not only that you can see why some people might not be joining you, but also why you might not be right for other people anymore. Like why you might decide other people are not right for you anymore either. It, it helps when people throw comments or questions or concerns at you that don't feel good. Like they don't feel supportive, right? It's like people are, they're sh sharing the things that they are afraid of or that they wouldn't want to be true for them but it doesn't mean it has to have anything to do with you. Like they're just sharing, like people say like they're just projecting and like, yes, but truly like try to put yourself in their shoes. Like oftentimes we give advice or we share comments and stuff because we think it might be helpful, but actually we're just expressing what would be coming up for us personally. And so I think that helps when you see that other people might be being hurtful or, or that you might need to let them go. <laughs> Um, but it's also helpful to know, like, if, if that's how you're starting to feel about some of the people who you were bringing along, it might be able to, okay to let them go. I think something that helps me too is knowing that if you're holding on to something um, that isn't quite working, you're actually trapping both people. Mm. Like it, it's not, it's not healthy or loving to be holding on to something that isn't working. And that does not mean that letting go is super easy, like by any means, but it's when you can see that um, it's a lot more compassionate to let go and let go doesn't even mean have to mean like goodbye forever. It can literally just be like loosening your grip on it, like just releasing a little bit of your grip on it and being like, I just trust that we're both going to do our thing for a while. And if we're meant to come back together, we will, we will find a way we will talk again one day and like, that'll be fine. But, but just being like, I don't have to hold on so tightly right now. Like just like, let go for a bit. Also because in the letting go, like it's scary to let go of things, but I always find like if I create space in my life 
then really good and supportive things come in. And sometimes that's in the form of other people. Sometimes it's just in tools or therapy or something like it. I just find like if you can create a little bit of space, like good things will come in or, or you will at least start to see an opportunity for some good things to come in. Um, but what I like, it feels really important to say this, that if you do lose a friend or a family member it, it, because of a choice that you have made, it is also okay and actually really important to grieve that. I think that if it feels final, if it feels like that friendship is gone forever, that relationship is gone forever, it is actually really important to grieve that and to not just um, get defensive or get hurt or whatever. Like, you're allowed to grieve that loss. Mm-hmm. And, and it's part of the healing process. And it's also part of the process of, like, if you can heal from that loss, you can start to open up a little bit for like something else to enter but it's really important to not completely bypass your feelings on it so 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 important I'm really glad you mentioned that yeah Yeah. well Kate thank you so much for coming on Thrive this has been such a good conversation and I'm sure people are really just like feeling all the feels right now (laughs) from that Um, I want to close out by asking you something that I ask everyone who comes on the Thrive podcast And that is, what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Mm. I would, it would probably come together. I think that for like the answers to those will come together. I think that thriving to me would mean making sure I'm um, continually growing. And that does not mean I have to like climb a ladder and grow in like some way for other people. But to me, growing means like if I can see something in myself that maybe I'm curious about or um, I want to experiment with, see if doing something different would be healthier or better for me in some way, that I'm constantly uh, doing that in, in service of the fact that I think it will all help me be a better person, a better friend, um, a better writer, I guess, too. But like for me to live in a way that feels really aligned includes growth. I don't know if that's like a very clear answer, but yeah, I think always open to opting out of one thing and into another. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the practice of self-awareness is where mm-hmm. all of that comes from, which I think, I mean, blogging is where all of that started. I've had people say, and I've really only started to understand this, but I've had people say like, oh, you're so self-aware. You so, like know exactly who you are and what's working or what's not working. And it's like, well, yeah, I've been blogging for like 10 years. Uh, so I'm like very openly. So I'm like that it is a constant practice of reflection and mm-hmm. uh, and experimentation and, and figuring out what's right and, and what's not for you. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Kate, tell us where everyone can get their hands on a copy of your new book and where else people can find you online if they want to connect with you more. Yeah, so I think Adventures is pretty much everywhere at this point. Um, and But online, the only place I really hang out is Instagram. I do have a newsletter, but I'm like, Instagram is the one and only. So, <laughs> Where it's at? Uh, uh, just at Kate Flanders. Awesome. Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. 
Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.